Welcome to the 209th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Liam Johnson, St. Hope, and Stephen Helliker. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Adam. Today we've got Maureen Barucha on the show. She's a returning guest. Listeners will remember her. She was, uh, for a long time, uh, the in-house director at Jimmy Kimmel Live. And since she's left to pursue her feature filmmaking career and had a movie that was set to premiere at the now-canceled South by Southwest 2020 Film Festival. So we're having her on to talk through what that means to her career and her life and her soul and all of the things as we're trying to process this crazy coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic situation through the lens of filmmaking. Yeah, and even since we talked to Maureen, which was just a few days ago, I see Amazon has teamed up with South by Southwest to launch a virtual fest. They're going to have like a lot of the movies and shorts for free on Amazon Prime. And it sucks that South by got canceled and all these filmmakers aren't getting to go. But there are a lot of really cool efforts I'm seeing about people trying to move the festival online. And I think there's various opportunities for those filmmakers to still kind of interact with each other and get the word out there about their movie. I mean, look, I think it it speaks to the industriousness and the indomitable spirit of our fellow filmmakers. Look, making movies is a a hard thing to do, as they say. And so it doesn't surprise me that the same people who managed to make a feature and make it good enough to get into South by Southwest have figured out ways to get their movie in front of people in different ways. Did you see our, our dear pals, Carlin Hudson and uh, Katie Maravich and uh, Carrie Barker had a short that was going to South by and they made their own step and repeat? Yeah, I did see that on Instagram. That was very cool. I actually texted Carlin. I was like, wait, are you in Austin? Because somehow the location was set to Austin and I thought that like, uh, her phone controls that. <laughs> but I guess I was just cheated out of the truth yet again by filmmakers. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I loved talking. I mean, Maureen is like always such a pleasure to talk to, but I just uh, loved how she told us about how her movie got made. She did not write it, but she did shoot a proof of concept for it, which is what got her attached and got it made and all that stuff. And I, you know, I'm always talking about making a proof of concept for my movie. So it's nice to see other people do it and getting to see that it actually works. Otherwise, we are just in quarantine. Oh, so we have a quick disclaimer about this, right? Yes. The audio quality is uh, probably not up to just shoot it par standards. Yeah. Look, you know, troubleshooting remote recording is going to be a little tricky. And, uh, you know, we did our best to clean things up. I'm sure I made some mistakes. Um, Apologies, this episode is also going up late as a result. Regular listeners might know that we usually record all our guests in person. And so we are adapting to the new shelter-at-home lifestyle. Yeah, the new normal. Um, Okay, well, we won't say anything about coronavirus because it won't be relevant by the time this comes out. Anyway, here is Maureen Barucha. We are here with Maureen Barucha. Of Sprinkles. And Jimmy Kimmel. And Jimmy Kimmel and the South by Southwest of America. Maureen, just to jump into it, your feature, Golden Arm, was set to premiere at South by Southwest. In case you were living under a rock, listeners at home, South by was canceled. It was kind of the first big uh, event that was canceled due to the COVID-19 outbreak, basically. And so uh, we thought, well, originally we were planning on having you on the show after the premiere, and now somehow it feels even more pertinent to have you on and talk to you about uh, the movie and how it's affected your filmmaking career and everything. What your your um your patient zero in the the filmmaker outbreak pandemic? Yeah, for sure. It's an interesting too because I didn't write this one and. I was working on Jimmy Kimmel Live segment directing for the past three seasons, and I left the show to direct this movie. And yeah, so it was a big, it was a big jump um, from what I had been doing. And it's a comedy, but yeah, we were supposed to premiere at South by Southwest. It's called Golden Arm, and it is interesting because you know we were the first to kind of be canceled, or one of the first things to be canceled. So in a weird way, I feel like I've been able to like mourn it a little bit where I feel Mm -hmm. like other film festivals and other filmmakers kind of haven't been like people that are at Tribeca and like I think Atlanta got postponed and Mm -hmm. so I feel like in a weird way you know 
I feel so sorry that the other sure. filmmakers didn't have had a chance to have that, that moment of just mourning it. You're kind of premiering at the best canceled film festival. <laughs> I don't mean that it was the best festival that was canceled, but it was of the cancellations. It was the star. Yeah, it, it's the newsworthy cancellation. I mean, it was a bellwether, right? Like, yeah, like I was supposed to perform at Coachella. No one's even talking about it to me. I'm not on NPR. I'm not an indie wire. If there's one festival to get canceled from, <laughs> it's South by. So it was, yeah, it was, we were really excited. The whole crew, like cast and crew were going to go and, you know, had, it was, it was kind of like a, we were, I think a week out when it got canceled. We were like, okay, it's a week. And as we, as the dominoes started to fall, everybody kept like texting me being like, are you still going? It's like, yeah, I'm still going. Nothing can stop me. Like I'm going. Is that when you started hoarding the N95 face masks? It was like, I have all the masks for everyone. Um, we're all going. <laughs> There's no room in my car. It's filled with toilet paper. But if you can hitch a ride elsewhere. Yeah. Well, that must have been a bummer. Did you? Did they contact the filmmakers before they the news went public? What was interesting is I was supposed to be on a panel with my composer, um, Hannah. And what was gr- crazy is we had a call that morning about the panel getting canceled. And we were like, well, we're still going. And then on the on the call, they were like, we think it's a house of cards. I have a, I have a feeling that they're going to cancel it. And then I was texting with my family and then the producer and then Mary Holland texted me that it came out in the news. So I think it kind of got all just put out there at the same moment. And Mary Holland is one of the stars of your movie. The movie stars Mary Holland and Betsy Sodaro are the two leads. So did the cancellation like lead to because I mean, you got some pretty high profile reviews and interviews for a movie that has not played anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I feel like we were really ramping up. I, like, hired a publicist and everything. I was like, oh, this is going to be, you know, this is a big deal. We're going to South By. And, like, that was, I've been to film festivals before, but never, I think, with something that maybe had as much buzz. So I had, like, shorts and stuff. But this was the time that we were like, okay, let's really, like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. We're going to go all in. So we were kind of ramping up to do all of that stuff. So I think, like, some of the stuff was set in motion, but it's been interesting because some people still want to do like Zoom interviews or they still want to do an, like mm. a, a call. But it is like such a weird landscape now where you're like, it's kind of in the context of like it getting canceled and then like. Right. And with the <laughs> the ubiquitousness of the Zoom interviews, it's like, do you mind if I conference? You're like talking to your mom. You mind if I conference in this interviewer real quick to yeah. join us? I can only see one of you at a time. <laughs> gallery view so w- we were joking a little bit before about how south by is kind of like the the festival it was the first festival and therefore the most newsworthy but do you think that there is some sort of kind of like halo effect of your film sort of being you know having that initial buzz but then because south by got canceled maybe there's a little bit more news about your film and people want to talk to you a little bit more because it's kind of uh you know part of this larger you know, global story? I think so. I mean, it it has seemed that one, you know, when you go to a film festival, it's like, we need film festivals. So I want to make sure that like those continue, but it has been interesting because I think maybe now more, you know, more buyers would be willing to like watch a link and like, you might <clears> actually <throat> have more people see the movie that were potential buyers than maybe that would have attended the screening at the festival. Sure. Yeah, you're the poster child for canceled film festivals everywhere in this weird and inadvertent way. Obviously, we'd we'd rather it be the other way around, but um, but it is kind of a strange. I feel like you know you go to a film festival and like oh you want everybody buzzing about it, being like have you seen that movie? We all go to it. But now it's like a weird. It's like the opposite where it's like everybody was talking about it and we haven't gotten to see it. Like when can we see it? So it's like a Mm -hmm. there's still like that intrigue about it. Can I ask you? Is your publicist kind of helping you get these? interviews and like how are you know Orrin was joking but you had an NPR interview an IndieWire interview like you've been kind of around um just shoot it obviously uh how how did you get these interviews they are very picky those guys (laughs) I'm very selective um no it was through the publicist and then also what's been interesting is that a lot of other film filmmakers that were at South by we've kind of have like these email chains going and everyone's trying to help each other. And it's like, Oh, someone so is wanting to talk to a filmmaker from the festival. So it's been interesting. Cause it's, it's actually been more supportive maybe than, I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what it would have been like at the festival, but it was mostly through my publicist, but it was also just through the network of the filmmakers that were supposed to be at South by kind of talking about like, so-and-so is doing an article over here and there's some that are supposed to come out. Um, 
and it's basically like been through the publicist and just through other filmmakers. And so just uh, to hop on a way you've been talking about the publicist, you, you said that you hired a publicist and then you called her your publicist. Um, is this like how can you just give us like a brief summary of like how this movie came to be? Did, is it I know you directed it, but you said you didn't write it. Are you the producer? Is it your movie? Did you finance it? Yeah, so it's an interesting... I mean, what's kind of crazy about it, it's... I didn't write it. I just directed it. And the two writers, Jenna Millie and Amory Allison, are two women that I met like five years ago in one of these women's groups. Like, I'm I'm, I'm in Femme Fatales. I'm in the, the DGA's Women's Steering Committee. I think we met in another one. And they saw my work uh, at Sprinkles. And they were like, oh my gosh, we have this movie. We have this feature that we're writing about female arm wrestlers and we would love for you to do a sizzle for us. So I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. Like they kind of just told me about the concept. I hadn't read anything at that point. And what's a sizzle? Is that like a proof of concept where you shoot stuff or is it more of a ripomatic type thing where you edit stuff? No, it was kind of, we shot something. So they basically just were like, well, what do you think we should shoot? And I, as soon as they told me about the idea, I immediately was like, my vision of it or what I see is like, a garage that's like smoke filled and it's just like a bunch of what like a fight club type were you high in a garage when you were thinking this (laughs) yes i was like i got it (laughs) (laughs) and so we just i actually just gathered a bunch of comedians together and they all kind of dressed up like ragtag and we shot this like two minute sizzle in a garage like five years ago and so that's how i kind of came onto the project originally oh wow that was five years ago yeah what was crazy so that I did that sizzle five years ago for them. And then a year after that, they had, I did like a live reading of a friend's play and I'd put that together. And so Jenna and Amory were like, hey, can we put together a live reading of the script that we finished? And I was like, sure. So I kind of got. And there's no money being exchanged or anything, right? At this point, you guys are just all in this together. Yeah. Like when they saw, when they saw my sizzle, they were like, they really were happy with it. And they're like, when we make the movie, we want you to direct it. And I was like, for sure. It's such a fun idea. She had oh my goodness. camera. So we actually shot this sizzle on like, I just had my camera and we just shot it. And so that's what they were like. This has turned out great. Let's, when we make the movie, we want you to direct it. So then we did a live reading a year later and they invited producers and investors to this live reading. They got uh, Russell Groves was one of the EPs attached. And then uh, basically Jane Fleming and Mark Ordesky came on as well. And then for like the next three years, I went to go work at Kimmel and Jenna and Amory took the sizzle and the pitch, like a pitch deck where we both, we all wrote stuff and I wrote about my vision and they kind of like went and got the financing. Um, and then they, we got a, a really young new producer, Gita Bajaj. So they kind of collected that team. And in five years, like, so I, they, when they finally had the money, it was like, all right, we got the money and let's go. And so I kind of like rounded up who were like all of my, my top cast. And we kind of like, we shot the movie this, this summer in Oklahoma for 20 days. Well, wait, and where'd they get the money? Just from investors. Like, they they pounded the pavement and, like, did little presentations. And we went to Sundance last year and did, like, you know, try to get investors that way. So this is kind of the classic uh, rich dentists model, basically. It's like it's like just a bunch of wealthy individuals and you just pitch enough of them and eventually the money comes together. Yeah, it's like people that are just like intrigued by like, oh, movies sound cool. And, you know, it's a fun concept. And, you know, we put together a really great deck and the sizzle. And so people were just excited. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what's really cool is Anne-Marie, she was an arm wrestler or she's, you know, there's all there's what's really cool about it is there are all these small little pockets of like this underground female arm wrestling community all over the country. And Amory was in, is one of them. And she actually runs like a charity out of DC called DC claw. And so it's a place where like women dress up as characters and they arm wrestle for charity. And we have one in LA as well. Oh, that's fun. It's, it's got kind of like a little theatricality to it, like a little Lucha Libre sort of vibe. Exactly. That's cool. That's great. So that's kind that's of like where the movie kind of like, it, you know, was first planted in, you know, that's the, the seeds of it. Well, that's cool. So, okay, so you made the movie. You were going to premiere. The premiere got canceled. Do you have a new premiere, can, uh, like, lined up? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about what the the new plan is and, and, and how it's iterated. I imagine it's kind of evolving as things go. Yeah, I think, you know, once, it, once South by got canceled and then also once the industry kind of started to shut down, I think that there was a little bit of a worry just like, yeah, what's – 
what's going to be next and we were waiting to hear back from other some other film festivals and some of those have gotten postponed um so basically we were like let's just hold off a beat see what happens but uh we are still shopping it around with buyers and uh looking you know looking into other film festivals for possible premieres but you know the, the main goal is to like you know get someone to buy it to distribute it so that we can just get it out to the world because it's it's just i'm really proud of it it's so funny um mary and betsy are amazing and then it, then we also have an incredible supporting cast as well it's like eugene cordero ron funches aparna manchurla don luby kate flannery dot jones ahmed barucha um, Olivia Stambolia. So it's a it's a quite a large cast and it's really funny. So I know that someone's gonna snatch it up because it's it's so watchable and just fun and you get to see everybody play and improv and um, it's just like you can't go wrong with that group of people. So is there a lot of improv in the movie? Yeah, I would say that there's there's a lot of improv in the movie. And you know, not necessarily in the traditional sense of like I didn't I wasn't I'm not a big like just do whatever you want and run and you know, do whatever. It was a lot of discussions, you know, because we only had 20 days to shoot it. We have, we're running, we're shooting two cameras. And with the comedy, you know, I think you have to have it be a little bit loose just so that you can kind of, ca- and we were capturing magic in a bottle. I mean, that whole cast, it's its just like, it's a murderer's yeah. row of incredible improvisers. Dot Marie Jones from Glee and Don Luby from the Just Shoot It podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, what's so crazy is that Dot Jones uh, she is a real-time arm wrestling champion. Like, she is a 15-time arm wrestling champion. She went to Moscow. Like, so <laughs> she, like, really taught us how to arm wrestle, which was so crazy. And did you have any background in arm wrestling? I mean, I always enjoyed Over the Top, the one other arm wrestling movie in the canon. But, no, I never really I never really arm wrestled. I feel like I'm actually pretty good. I think my technique is, like, good now. But Maureen, I, w- I wanted to go a little big picture again, right? South by is no longer, but like, I know that oftentimes a big premiere like that, you know, if you get into something like that, people tend to not uh, submit to a ton of other regional festivals, knowing that they'll get invitations later, basically. And that like a lot of scouts are sent to those bigger festivals. Now that you're not premiering at South by, and it seems like that's a domino effect of other festivals kind of going away. How have you, um, reapproached your festival strategy what's the thinking there how how are you guys kind of um taking it all in because obviously like we're still early days in terms of knowing how long this thing is going to last and what festivals are actually going to be up and running yeah i mean i think the big thing is kind of like you said once we got into south by we're like great we're gonna like premiere at a big festival and you know that hopefully will have like a domino effect and we had submitted to some other small film festivals um you know we were still we were still in the mix. But that being said, I feel like so many things kind of have postponed until the fall. And so I, you know, I think we don't want to wait until the fall. So I think our strategy is just, is to send it out to buyers and to have people watch and still trying to like, you know, go for festivals. Cause it's just great to kind of watch your movie with movie fans. So right now we're kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern in the sense of trying to see what other, what other film festivals would make sense if they're even happening and then also trying to find, you know, maybe we can send it out to buyers and get somebody interested even before the film, you know, even without a film festival just by having, cause it is a South by movie still, you know, and it, it was in the visions category. So that was kind of fun for me. What's the visions category. The visions category is just kind of, um, it's not, it wasn't in main competition, but it was in vision. So basically it was about the, but the, it was a, it's more of the filmmaker kind of centered, screenings that are a little bit more offbeat and like unique and artistic so especially this movie like my my dp christopher messina is just a a genius and brilliant and i trust him implicitly so the movie is just shot really fun and because it's funny and it's it's dark and edgy and it's not your everyday type of comedy The, the the big thing for me was like when we were making it i feel like tv is killing it with comedies like Everything looks really cool and it just is very unique. But with movies, I think comedies still kind of look boring and flat. So we kind of tried to really move away from that and make it the most cinematic that we could. I mean, that's why to me, I was like so proud that it got into the visions category because we really took a lot of time and effort into thinking about our shots and making it cinematic and making it flow and not just feeling like flat, boring, like shot, reverse shot, how I feel like a lot of comedies are shot. 
can I dig in a little bit on that actually? I think that's really fascinating and I love the way you put that. Um, can you offer some practical advice on how you did that? Because I feel like the reason that people oftentimes cite that movies look a little flat is because of improv, basically. Because you're shooting cross coverage and you don't want to lose the reaction off of something that spontaneously happened on set. But you guys did that and also managed to make it cinematic. So I'm, I'm curious to learn what your uh, what your philosophy was there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not actually somebody that always loves to do com- like a true cross covering kind of improv stuff. Just because I think you get so tied in if you're if you're shooting two people with the same kind of shot, and it's and they're doing improv, you kind of have no room to like to edit around it if you need to. So even when we're shooting two camera, we might be doing a single on somebody, and then a two shot, you know, so. And then to me, because I don't do improv, or again, I don't like like a line rama or just like let them go. It's like we've talked mm-hmm. about kind of like we've kind of talked like me, Mary and Betsy would before each scene kind of like talk about the intention, talk about what we needed to have there, strip it down to like what was essential to the story. And then also just like room to have fun. Like, again, I'm one that's like best joke wins, best pitch wins. Like everybody was like pitching ideas and jokes all, you know, all the time on set. So we kind of figured out which, which pitches would work. And then you might improvise that scene, but it wouldn't be so loose that you wouldn't be able to get coverage, if that makes sense. And so do you start with uh, a certain shot in order to get that improv, like figuring out the scene out of the way? Do you do the traditional, like start with the wider stuff? Yeah, it is it is the most traditional. And it's just a way to like have them, like let them kind of move move around the space and figure out like, you know, if they feel stuck. Because my whole thing with this as well was I feel like for it to work, I really wanted to feel grounded and real and and again, I feel like that's what happens in a lot of movies, like comedy movies, is it's just too crazy town all the time. And like, so for me, it's like, if you ground something and it feels real, then you earn those big moments. So when we sh- when we would improvise or do scenes, it was always like, shoot the wide first. And not too many times, because really all you're going to use wides for, to me, is like entering, leaving, and maybe like if there's some movement in the middle. So sure. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do too many wides, but it was usually that was almost like a rehearsal because we didn't have rehearsal. So why would and I always am like, shoot the rehearsal. If we're like if they're doing anything, shoot it, because there could be something magical that happens. So always shoot the rehearsal. Well, let me ask you, you do a lot of um, you've done a ton of TV and a lot of digital stuff and a lot of your TV stuff has probably gone viral, you know, through digital platforms and uh, a lot of small screens. Uh, and you just said that thing about like kind of living more in the in the closer shots than the wide shot. Did you do anything differently in this movie because it is a feature and because I mean, I know it's 2020 and things are different, but like that, that there is still this idea that you would watch this on a bigger screen than you would watch probably a lot of your other work on. Um, did that factor into how you shot it or how you edited it? It did anything? not. I mean, honestly, no, like we didn't we didn't think about any shots in the sense of like, how is this going to look on a, on a smaller scale? We just, uh, Chris and I would just kind of talk about what we just thought the scene needed. So to make things again, it's interesting because it is a lo- it's like a low budget movie, but we, but we wanted it to look big and it's like a sport. It's, you know, half, it's a half a road trip movie and half sports movie and it's a comedy, but basically we kind of, we didn't want it to, we wanted it to feel real, but we didn't want to have a doc, a doc feel. Cause I feel like so often it's like either sticks or handheld to feel more real. So we kind of like wanted to ground it, but have it still feel cinematic. So we use a lot of like steady cam, dolly shots and some handheld that feels very, very steady um, and a lot of movement. So we, we really didn't factor in what, what platform it would be on. And I feel like it would be so great to see it on a big screen because we do use a lot of close-ups and it, you know, even though we didn't have the, all the spaces that we wanted, you def- it definitely feels big. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I, something I like think about a lot is, I think it was in, um, and Matt, I'm sure you, you can, you will correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in the blink of an eye, I think Walter Murch talks about how he puts like a little cutout of a human being like next to his monitor as he's editing so that he can see like, oh, in the theater, the screen is like, you know, like 10 times taller than this person. And so 
I can live in this wide shot or I can have a scene play out in like a loose two shot um, as opposed to in TV that where you're living really a lot in the closes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now Walter Murch just has like a large cardboard cutout that he puts kind of in front of him. Yeah, that, is to, yeah, that is the part cutest of part of the blink of an eye. Of an it's eye. like a pretty it's technical like a pretty book, technical but something book, about that something is so, about endearing, that is so to endearing to be. Like, there's something so arts and craftsy about, like, literally cutting out a little... A little person. Anyway. The one thing is, like, when we went to the edit, and my big thing with comedies as well is, uh, when I was talking to my editor, Grant McFadden, I was like, I don't want to cut to, like, the joke. So... I feel like that also happens so often in movies now where it's, it just like kills the joke to me where it's not that you have to like live in the wide, but it's okay to not always see the joke delivered on camera. <laughs> and I feel like so often, like a lot of comedies features as well, like especially do that where they're just like, da, 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 cut to the joke, da, 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 cut to the joke. Right. But when you say cut to the joke, you mean cut to the actor in a close up that is delivering the joke as opposed to staying on a different actor or as opposed to staying wide. I suppose, like, I guess it was like, it's not necessarily a wide shot, but it might be like a moving shot or you might let the, let the person move around the other person. You don't have to cut. Yeah. You spell it out more. It's like a little more on the nose. It's more presentational of like, here's the funny part. Exactly. So we really tried to avoid that. And that was like something that when we were shooting, I would, you know, Chris and I were definitely on the same page. And then it was just translating that to the edit where I was like, I want to make sure that we got it in the close-up, but I don't want to always cut to the joke of somebody saying a line. Right. Because then, it, especially if you have a lot of jokes, that turns it, it starts defining the rhythm of the show. And it's like, get it? It's a joke, you know? Right. Instead of just letting you live in the space and, like, feel the characters. And this is such a, a character-driven movie. Again, Mary and Betsy are just dynamite together. So you just want to see them interact and again, it's like whether Betsy dips in out of frame or Mary, you know, you catch Mary's back and then her front. Like, I just think you don't always have to be exactly mm-hmm. on the person's face when they're delivering a joke. Yeah. I heard there's a lot of really good backting in your movie. <laughs> there actually is. There's a really cool, we did like a, we did a, um, the fighter or like that kind of like a one where Mary comes out from, um, behind stage and goes down to the arm wrestling pit. And we did, it was like a one it was like so much fun. That's funny. I made this movie about this. He's a wrestler turned UFC fighter. And, you know, the whole time I'm like, we're just going to follow him, follow him everywhere. We're just going to be behind him. Just like the wrestler, the wrestler. Yeah. We're just going to be walking behind. We're just going to walk behind. And when he's like running away from things, when he's like not facing his fears, we're just going to walk, watch him walk away from us. And when he is facing his fear, we're going to be leading him. And like I had all this whole film language and everything. And then we get into the edit and everyone's like, this is so fucking boring, man. Every scene we're walking behind this guy. (laughs) Like what's going on? I'm like, ah, fuck. Then, then I took my super artistic movie and turned it into like what everyone expected. (laughs) <laughs> well that was the thing it was it was a challenge because like yeah every want everybody wants to kind of do the thing that's like yeah everyone's no- like this is how we watch comedies or like this is what we think of how you should edit and it's like let's just flip the script a little bit like let's just we have the opportunity to like push the needle a little bit with the characters that we're doing and the women that are in this movie and the way that we shoot it so it's not like it's not that crazy, but it's just pushing it a little bit. And let me ask you two more questions about the production of this movie, and then I want to jump into some coronavirus talk. Um, but uh, one is, did you you have like, I mean, again, if anyone looks up the cast of your movie, like the some of the best comedians working right now are in your movie, best comedy comedic actors. Um, like, do you rehearse with them, or do you, a lot of them you just get for like the day? And you just have to figure it out on set. We again, we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time, but I'm, I really like to talk about the like what I like to do is talk about the character with the person. So a lot of the people kind of came to Oklahoma, yeah, a couple days before. So I did a lot of phone calls with everybody about their character and kind of like how they were how they were going to play them or how I thought that the character might be. So that's kind of where it started, right? It starts with just kind of like talking about the character and what type of person I think they are, the type of person the actor thinks they are. And this you do like on the phone before they get to set or you're doing this like on like in Oklahoma while you're like. No, this was like on the, on the phone, like pretty much after everybody kind of like signed on their deal. I'll give them a call, talk about the script, talk about the character. And so kind of plant those seeds as far as like tonally what I'm going for 
and what they want to do and kind of what we want to do together. Because, again, I, I feel like you can't have these amazing comedians and not be open to, like, how they want to play the characters. Right. And now you give yourself a little bit of time to adjust to their ideas as well. Exactly. Right. And do you find that some people are like, yes, yes, let's talk about this for four hours. And other people are like, yep, got it. See you there. <laughs> yes, for sure. I mean, the fun thing about this movie is I feel like everybody, because I'm, I've worked with everybody before pretty much. The only people that I hadn't worked with before were Kate Flannery and Dot Jones. And they were just, you know, obviously they're pros and amazing women. So everybody else I knew. So I'd worked with before. So it's nice to have that second hand or that shorthand with them. I feel like my favorite person that I talked to in the sense of like just how their character pivoted was Ron Funches. His character maybe on the page was a little bit more skeezy and uh, he runs the tournament and he was kind of just like a sleaze bag. But Ron is so great that when we had our conversation, Ron was just like, you know what? I can play whomever you want to play him. But I think that this guy loves strong women. He loves thick women. His mom was an arm wrestler. He's just into it. And he's like, and now I'm just talking about myself. I'm a little disappointed you're not going harder on a Funches impression, Maureen. <laughs> but I was like, that was he, his like his perspective on it was like, yes, yes, like a hundred percent. And when he came and did his thing, it's like I can't imagine it the other way. And it ended up organically. Him and Betsy started to have this like chemistry that we kind of played with on set that wasn't really. It was like touched on a little bit in the script, but it was like so funny. Just the two of them like. W grinding on each other and like wanting to be with each other but not wanting to be with each other so it was just kind of exploring the characters just planting those seeds on phone calls and then when they would get to Oklahoma just talking through scenes before and you're right like some actors are like I got it you know I know what you're going for um, and then other people just want to like dig in and talk about it or they want more notes so with such a big cast it was like kind of figuring out which ways everybody liked to work yeah, I find with me, not, I haven't really done like much long form stuff in a while, but when I was doing it more, I'd find that like sometimes the actors that you think care the least, like care the most, like they're like, okay, yeah, okay, got it. Thanks. And then you're like, okay, they don't give a shit. And then on set, they're like, well, you said this one thing. So I researched this thing and then I'm going to do this thing, you know, like that sometimes it's hard to, to tell how sold in, you know, or bought in like an actor is. It's funny, too, because I feel like sometimes actors are like, I hope you got everything that you needed. And I'm like, I did because I wouldn't I wouldn't move on if I had. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. The, I always say that's my biggest compliment is moving on. Like that means right. well done. We did it. Yeah. I usually say uh, we're probably going to cut you out of the scene anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. It's like if you don't like I'm like, oh, that means I need to like give that person maybe a little bit more praise when when they are mm -hmm. done because they're like, I hope you got everything you needed. And you're like. Oh, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, totally. Um, well, so my other question was going to be kind of barely related to that. Um, like, so you have this awesome cast. I'm assuming most of them are based in L.A., maybe a few in New York. But um, what to to like what makes you go and shoot this movie in Oklahoma when like probably none of your cast is there aside from Oklahoma having really good initials? Yeah, I mean, basically it was for the tax incentive. Um, again, being a low budget and us wanting to kind of shoot, we were kind of looking around and we're like, what's a good place? You know, what are some places that have tax incentives? And so Oklahoma was on was on the list. And I have to say, like Oklahoma, I'd never been and I was a little weary, but it was really cool shooting there. And it has so many different looks to it. So um, it was it really surprised me. And the food is really good and the people were awesome. We definitely found some gems. I, I was really lucky enough to have all of my keys. So I got my assistant director, Seth Farley, and my production designer, Wendy Samuels, and my DP. And then the rest of the crew was pretty much locals, um, which was, again, you're just like, are they going to know what to do? But we had like an incredible, um, you know, hair and makeup and our, and our costumes were so killer. Like it was definitely... It was definitely like worried going there because I didn't know many people that have shot there. And the yeah, the ex like the local hires were so amazing. We got we like had some really killer background people and just like date players. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you need amazing background people, you go to Oklahoma. Everyone knows that. I've also you know, there, I also scouted every of, strip club uh, in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, while they were open. <laughs> oh well, it was quite yeah. an adventure. You're like, we can't pay you, but we are shooting in a strip club, so we're saving you hundreds of $2 bills. Yes. 
Um, yeah. Also, Oklahoma looks like a hand pointing a finger, which, you know, golden arm. It could be related. Yeah. I can see the connection. That's what, Actually, that's why we did it. It looked like an arm. Let, let me ask Maureen, because I, I feel like we oftentimes talk about like the hometown feature, you know, and there's like that mentality of like, oh, I'm going to go home and I grew up in this town and so I know everybody and I'm going to get food for free and the cops are going to fight to be in my movie and all this stuff. And then there's the big budget feature and then there's the tax incentive feature. But it sounds to me like maybe you're getting two of the three buckets already. Like, like, did you find that they kind of rolled out the red carpet for you a little bit? That they were really, you know, excited that you were there and, and not jaded the way that sometimes people in Los Angeles can be jaded about film production? Yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely an excitement. I think what's interesting, actually, when we were shooting there, there were seven things shooting at the same time. Oh, wow. So I feel like they, they have they have some movies. But the one thing that everybody was so excited about is they don't get a lot of comedies. So they were uh, saying, oh, we get a lot of like period pieces and westerns. They're like, this is a serious town, Maureen. <laughs> yeah. <Barucha. laughs> yeah. So I think that's actually why a lot of, you know, our costumers and um, our hair and makeup were, were all women. And they were like, you know, we don't have a lot of you know, movies that are directed by women and we don't have a lot of movies that are starring all women and that are comedies. So I think it was a little bit of a novelty in the sense of that's just not usually the type of movie that gets shot there. Sounds fun. It was really fun. What's crazy is that there was another movie shooting that kept poaching our crew. um, Mm. And they, I heard that on their first day or their second day of shooting, two people had to go to the emergency room because of heat exhaustion. Yeah, it's no joke. Yeah. Yeah, you, Matt you did something it. like that once. We actually had to, sh- like, two of our scenes were supposed to be outside, and then we had to just rewrite them to be inside because one one day was so hot, and then another day we had a thunderstorm. It was, weather was not on our side. Yeah, pretty brutal. Being kind of from here, I sometimes forget how part of the reason Hollywood is here is our quite consistently mild weather. Yeah. Yeah, if you can count on rain midday, most of the year then you know it's not a great shooting town unless you're orlando in which case i guess people don't really seem to care (laughs) you still can't shoot during that time though man you know they shoot during the rain all the time and in atlanta i've shot during the rain too all the time we're like just throw a few more hmis at that thing it'll look like daytime what's crazy is that we had it was the day i think we had kate flannery and she was only there for one day and we had we were shooting inside this bar and she had one more scene left, and then this thunderstorm came. And then the rule was you can't go outside and you can't shoot for like two hours after the storm passes. Oh, right, because it's yeah, dangerous. Yeah, you don't want to get electrocuted. Yeah. And our scene was supposed to be outside, so we're just like, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so in the last moment, we were just like, I think Mary might have even pitched it, but it was like, why don't we just run to the bathroom? And so we shot the scene in a, ma- in a guy's restroom like with next to the urinals and it was just like it became so funny because it was like why are they running into this bathroom and it's so funny in the scene and it really just happened to be because we couldn't shoot outside and do they acknowledge like oh there's a thunderstorm let's go into the bathroom like what it's a scene where um they are they kind of meet kate flannery her character and they arm wrestle her and she kind of like yells at them and they kind of run away and instead of running outside, they run into the man's the men's bathroom. And in the movie, like Mary's character, Melanie's like, "Why are we running into the man's the men's bathroom?" And Betsy's character is kind of like, oh, "I don't know. I don't know where else to run." Like, so they're just kind of frantically getting you know getting away from Kate, and uh, they acknowledge it. But it, it ends up there's like a really funny moment that happens in the bathroom, and it actually made the scene work so much better because they had some urgency to it. And if they had gone outside, it would have been a slower scene, and it might not have been as funny. So the thunderstorm kind of made that scene work better. Yeah, I love that stuff when you're forced into like, you know, getting more creative than you were originally. The same thing with we, again, half the movie is on a big rig. So my big thing, again, making it feel grounded and real. And I hate green screen. I was so worried that we were going to have to shoot Mary and Betsy driving this big rig with like green screen windows. So we're just like, oh, I was like, this movie's going to suck if it's going to be green screen because half like there's so much road stuff. So we basically talked to the transpo guys in Oklahoma and they were like, yeah, there's the process trailer for a big rig is so expensive and we can't afford to get like a second yeah. driver. So they're like, well, there has to be something we can do. And they were like, no, there's nothing. Sorry. And at the last moment we were having this meeting, it was like five minutes left of the meeting. The guy's like, well, 
there is one thing. He's like, what happens? We're like, yeah, what happens? I mean, can't they just tow the big rig? Exactly. That's what ended up happening. He's like, we have a flatbed big rig that tows other big rigs. And we're like, that's what we need. So we actually ended up doing that. And we just <laughs> strapped cameras, two cameras, and just me, the DP Chris, Mary and Betsy drove around for the whole day doing all the scenes changing inside the car just to get everything that we needed it was like insane yeah yeah, yeah. that's what i'm talking about but i think also sometimes people don't bring up those suggestions because they think you're too fancy like sometimes people just don't want to throw out that idea because they have this apprehension about you being too too skittish about it you know yeah but shooting cars when they're being towed is kind of hard it, it, well, it was very hard and it was hot it was like not a fun time in, in one sense but i mean mary and betsy again are so they're such troopers and they were like let's do it let's just drive around and there was so much improv that happened in the car and some of my favorite moments came out of just them we we're just towing you know we're just driving around for like six hours <laughs> right yeah no it's fine what's great i did this movie that was mostly in cars um and we did the tow you know like we got like the u-haul car tower and we like took all the air out of the tires and like put got the lowest one we could get and got the lowest car and took the air out of those tires and like basically tried to get it to look like this bmw was really like driving and we towed it and then it's like oh this shot doesn't work because we made a left now we gotta wait till we get to this light and make a u-turn and okay this shot's working but ah, now these people are flip, yeah. flipping us off in the background yeah i i I totally get where you're coming from about hating green screen marine, but like that's kind of why I like green screen for cars in particular is because like even when you're on a process trailer and you're doing it right, a cop ends up in your shot here or there and you're like, you know, you're on the radio and you're getting a little car sick. So you're not paying attention to like who's saying what or whatever. And to me, I just love being able to like call cut, walk over to an actor, talk to them real quick and then go back and sit down you know but i think if like there hadn't been as much of the movie in the car half a movie that's a lot i mean i'm still i think on maureen's side the green screen is it's just really really hard yeah you can i can always see it yeah a hundred percent but also it's like it, it it removes the location as a character Mm-hmm. And it makes it more as something you're just kind of like worried that is it's going to break your movie as opposed to like make your movie. I think also it depends on if it's day or night, right? If it's nighttime, I think there's a little more forgiveness there. But I mean, True Blood is 100% like poor man's process trailer. And it yeah. totally works. I think, Some of the, I think rear, projection, rear, rear projection always looks better to me than green screen. But obviously mm-hmm. like within your budget. And I think the other thing too is if, you know, say we had to do green screen or rear. Pro- I, we don't. Really, I don't think we could have afforded rear projection, but I think we would have just gotten what was scripted and been like, okay, let's call it a day. I don't think that we would have mm-hmm. had the realness and like the imperfections and the bumps in the road and like you know, there's a scene that got cut out of the movie. It's one of my fucking favorite things. Mary and Betsy saw cows actually having sex on the side of the road, and it led <laughs> it led into an improv about them talking about cow clits and cow sixty nining and like. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Like, there, I, it's not in the movie. I hope that maybe one day you'll see it. But, like, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the DVD. <laughs> like, just those jumping off points, like, never would have happened if we had just been kind of right. in a studio. Yeah. I think I also just get car sick really easily. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, a very unpleasant. And you're also, like, as the director, you're usually sitting on the back of whatever's towing the car. And there's, like, a generator that's, like, powering some HMI. And it's just exhausting right in your face. And, and I'm just, like, eating, like, ginger candy nonstop. <laughs> and just, yeah, with this one, because with this one, it was it Mary and Betsy were in the cab. And it, there's a sleeper cab. So me and the DP were literally inside the uh, cab with that. Like, it was like a hot box. Oh, it was cool. so... That's awesome. It was that's crazy. That's awesome. We're very excited about Golden Arm. I tried to Google a trailer. I could not find anything. I mean, I'm assuming we're kind of just like waiting for you guys to release it <laughs> or to premiere it or to do something. So, so I think probably we'll talk probably to you talk again, to you again after, after that. that. I think we'll know in a couple of weeks, like a week or two, like, you know, the powers of B of who's seen it and who wants to buy it and stuff. Yeah. 
Until then, we can just look at your badass poster you made. Yes. It is a great poster, Maureen. It was so, I mean, it was, it's basically, it's not the official poster. It's just a poster that I made for the cast and crew as kind of like, just thank you because everybody is so awesome. But it's like what my dream poster would be. <laughs> you know, actually before, because I know we we all want to talk about how we're all uh, safe at home and all of that stuff. But I, I, I think there is something interesting to talk about here because Maureen, you're not the producer Right, but it is your movie, and I think maybe because we're friends and I see all the stuff that's happening on social media, I'm maybe a little bit more aware of it, but it, it feels like you're really taking a lot of ownership and doing a lot of your own sort of work to hire a publicist and to get out there and, you know, be interviewed and to make a, a you know, you like commissioned a poster, like we were just saying. You know, there's a lot of things that you're doing that I think oftentimes maybe directors when they're making a movie of this size because it it is low budget but it's not that low budget it's still a significant real amount of money you know um you're taking a lot uh, upon yourself just to kind of get the word out as as a producer would talk to us a little bit more about that yeah i mean i think i think it goes i mean to me it goes back to kind of just i i'm so proud of it and i really love everybody that's in it and I definitely, you know, my motto of make cool shit, it's something that I feel like it's, it is cool shit and I'm so excited for people to see it and it's so unique. And the other thing too is like, it's, I've been a part of it for like five years. It's been a really unique kind of experience because again, it's the first thing that I've, you know, a feature length thing that I haven't written, but it definitely is in my voice and, you know, it's gone through very many iterations of you know, my version and then improvising and working with the actors and then the edit. It's definitely something that is completely 100% the way I see it, you know, um, and I'm really proud of it. And so I think to me, it's it doesn't like, I guess maybe I don't even know that you wouldn't be that connected to like a piece of art that you've done, because to me, it's that's just kind of like what you do if you love the thing that you've done. I, I guess I'm asking less about because uh, i think obviously like it's your voice and like you're connected to it and i think everyone can everyone listening to the, this podcast would relate to that it's more the other steps that you've taken hiring the publicist commissioning the poster that sort of kind of basically marketing work basically um that you're doing can you talk a little bit more about the decision to take on that role? oh yeah I, and i guess too for me it's i'm hoping that this helps propel my career. So in a sense, it's like, obviously I want the movie to do well, but then also to me, it's like, I want to make sure it's getting me to the next, to the next level. That I want. Maureen, we're all in this together. We want your work to propel all of our careers. I mean, yeah, let's all, let's all just keep making cool shit for each other. But yeah, I think that's like what it is. It's like investing in myself. And so, you know, whether it's hiring a publicist or commissioning a poster for everybody or, um, you know, just kind of being very vocal on social media and getting out there and telling the word, it's, I think it's like everyone's helping each other, kind of bringing each other up together. Awesome. Yeah, I was making a coronavirus joke, by the way. <laughs> I'm not expecting to really profit from your work. Uh, I am, though, Marine. I think I think like as soon as you sell a TV show, I am the the next phone call. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, everybody always okay. wants to just work with people they love. So. Well, so okay, so you made this movie, all that stuff, PR, great. Now what? What's going on? We're uh, I'm on day. 10 i think this quarantine i think i'm um, a day behind you nine most most people do not commit to have not committed to this in the way that i have committed to it when was the last time you went outside Lauren? i mean i've gone outside to take a walk and to go to the grocery but i mean i'm like full gloves mask at the grocery and like actually yeah, today yeah. A, a guy was standing too close to me and i was like sir can you back up and he's like what yes i love that that that's actually a thing uh that i feel like i am maybe I would be too shy to do, but I think we all should be doing, frankly. And I just, as a result, just haven't gone outside basically at all. Well, you've ne- you haven't walked around the block or anything. I've done that a little bit, but I get a little freaked out. Cool. Well, I guess when this episode comes out, all of this will be totally inconsequential. It's coming out a week from Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, probably I'll be on set by then, like forgetting about this, like. <laughs> yeah hugging kissing on each other's cheeks <laughs> yeah don't you sometimes think like you're just gonna wake up and it's this was all like not real 
But also I'm having PTSD when I watch television shows and people are handshaking or touching things. I'm like, oh God, all the germs. You're like, what are you you doing? Stop. (laughs) Yeah. Well, should we endorse some things for no money? Some some unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Yeah. Um, I'll kick it off. I've got a handful of comforting endorsements for everybody. Make sure they're still valid a week from now, though. These are still valid. So my first one is Roy Choi's Perfect Instant Ramen Recipe. He got, I think when he first posted this, I think it was originally an LA or New York Times recipe. Yeah, I think I saw it. Like a YouTube video, right? Yeah, there's a YouTube video. It's it's made the rounds. Um, And it's, it's controversial because basically what he does is he takes an instant ramen package... And then throws, uh, he he basically does it normal and then uses the noodles to poach an egg, a raw egg. And then he throws a slice or two of American cheese. I think preferably mm-hmm. like craft like singles, <laughs> singles cheese on it. And people were hating on it. Obviously, none of those motherfuckers ate, ever ate it because it is delicious. <laughs> And, and so, so, like, so, so, so easy, so, so perfect. He's, he's always been like, hey, listen, this is for, like, a 3 a.m. snack or when you get home from school. And, like, your mom's like, go make yourself something. Yeah, and you don't put caviar on, like, top ramen, you know? It like is. You, gotta, you need the ingredients to work together. Exactly. And, it like, so basically that, like, oily, salty-ass cheese just mixes in and just, it's like an umami bomb. So you've done this. I've done it many times. And in these coronavirus fallout food times, I definitely have done it a couple times in the last week. And you can do it with, you don't have to do it in the, um, with the brick. You can do it in the cup of noodle style as well. Like there's a little bit of, you know, hacking to be done, but it's fucking great. And so um, I recommend, but basically I explained everything to you. Like, it's just instant ramen and egg, butter, and American cheese. You can throw some sesame butter. seeds on there as well if you want. Yeah, mm. it's so fucking good. So nice. That's recommended. Well, since one. I eat five times a day now, in addition to my three meals, <laughs> I'll probably get to that by tomorrow afternoon. Well, also, you guys report back to me. It's great. It's so great. Um, so that's my that's a, a genuine comfort food move. Uh, and then also, I've talked about before how. I've been trying to figure out like games and rewatching movies, and I just realized I, you know, I never made it through the AFI top 100 list. So uh, I've jumped back into that with a vengeance. I'm tearing through that list. It's going pretty well. But I realized, do you guys know the the podcast Unspooled? No, I think I've heard it, about it. It's Don't Paul Shear. Yeah, Sheer. someone's recommended it on our podcast. Oh, maybe it was me. Or maybe somebody else recommended it to me. No, I anyway, think somebody else was. Let me, yeah. I'll tell you what. It's really a treat to uh, watch the movie and then listen to the episode that they um, that they review the movie on because they really do a, a, a great job of producing it. They have different guests on to talk about it. They have a lot of like listener interaction. Like it's it's relatively well researched. It's Paul is quite funny, and then um, his co-host Amy. I'm forgetting her last name. But like they, they're they've got great banter. But she's a film critic, so like it's really a super well produced podcast. So it's a really nice um, thing to listen to if you're kind of wanting to think a little bit more deeply about the movie that you just watched. And just so you, everyone knows that uh, we're recording episode two hundred nine right now on episode one seventy seven, <laughs> uh, Radio <laughs> Silence. Uh, oh, there we go. Unspooled. Awesome. Yes, that's right. That's right. And they were the ones that turned me onto it. That's right. Um, and then my last one. Have you guys seen the Kevin James sound guy sketches on YouTube? No. Oh. Yeah. You guys, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be like so avidly endorsing something Kevin James made. But oh, he, he made he. It's him. It's his YouTube channel. He plays a sound guy, and they're just like basically <laughs> really well really well executed recreations of him being the sound guy like off frame trying to get all of the sound from a lightsaber battle and the empire strikes back 
or like him talking to Ryan Gosling, trying to get a sound check on set of the notebook. He just released one six days ago. Which one? What is that? Is it Braveheart? Oh, I haven't seen the Braveheart. Why I'm so excited. They're so (laughs) simple and so dumb. And he only has 143,000 subscribers, which means to me that if you leave a comment, he might read it. He might read it. That's true. Well, those, you got the, the, the notebook one where he's just, he's just asking Ryan Gosling if he can get a sound check. It's so, <laughs> so funny. It's, so dumb. it's really good. It's really good. So, so those are, uh, that's my comfort food endorsements for, for, for everyone. Yeah, pretty good. Again. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. Not for Joker. Joker. Well, I'm hard about it. Yeah, <laughs> that one's fine. The notebook one is so good. Um, I would say um, my friend Bess Caleb, who's a writer on Jimmy Kimmel, has a book out right now. Nobody will tell you this but me. Uh, it's a memoir, I believe, in the voice of her grandmother that she wrote. Her other grandmother passed away. Uh, it's on Amazon, so I would I would recommend that. I'm starting to read it. It's really great. Yeah, and I just also just watched. I mean, sure, everybody's watching it now, but Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Boy, what a time to I have release not seen a, it. a TV show, right? It's all over the place, but it's it's magical. You know what, too? If you like that, then you would also like I, the movie Roar. It was like basically Tippi Hedren, and then Melanie Griffith is in it. And it's basically this family, I think, is in Africa or some kind of tropical location. And then they kind of encounter this, this like pack of lions in their house. And it's like they just really let these real lions kind of interact with all of the actors. And I think in real life on set, like some of the camera guys got mauled. I think (laughs) Melanie Griffith got like an injury that she needed to get repaired when she was a teenager. Like I want to say the cinematographer got scalped. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he did. I think you're right. So I feel like they, who they should put the, like if people are loving tiger, tiger King roar is like the best double feature ever. Yeah. That is a good call. I just looked up. You can watch the documentary about the making of the film on fandango now for 2.99 it's worth it it's the only movie noel marshall ever directed i wonder if there's a reason for that <laughs> oh Cin- cinematography by jan de bont what oh <laughs> didn't he do speed right yeah i think you're right i think yeah or meth i forget what he was on while serving as cinematographer for the 1981 film roar DeBont experienced one of many onset injuries during filming where a lion lifted his scalp, requiring <laughs> oh 220 God. stitches. My God. Uh, that is uncomfortable to even think about. Got it. We're ha- yeah, we can't even, we can't be on set because of a virus, but these people could like be with like mauled yeah, by yeah. tigers. <laughs> Literally, a wild cat ripped his head oh off of 200 his 200 stitches. Yeah, then he made speed. Okay, final endorsements. So... One thing, I'm sure everyone knows about this, but I don't know. I think it's cool, and maybe someone doesn't know about it. But you know that you you know those wine stoppers that you know you put in your you open the wine, you put a wine stopper in, mm-hmm. so it doesn't um, go bad. The last few weeks, I haven't needed them, but yes, keep going. Yeah, right before I, we started recording this podcast, well, I poured my. I was like, I asked my wife, I was like, "Oh, Karen, do we have like? Can I finish the wine?" She's like, "Nah, just open a new bottle." I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna take one glass." She's like, "Don't worry, open a new bottle. I got this." Um, and then of course I spilt an entire glass of wine on everything on my desk. So luckily I had this new bottle opened. Um, but so you know that they have wine stoppers that are, have aerators poured, uh, like built into them. Do you yeah. know about those? Yeah. They're pretty awesome. They air, oh. if you have a red wine, it aerates mm-hmm. your wine as you're pouring it out of the bottle. And then my other thing, which again, I don't know if this will be relevant, but, uh, there's this DP. I have very mixed feelings about him. His name is Shane Hurlbutt. You guys know him? Probably yeah. most famous for being yelled at by Christian Bale on the set of Terminator oh, yes. 3. Uh, are you professional? Yeah, yeah. Well, he has... He was actually, like, kind of a revolutionary guy in terms of, like, using DSLRs for, like, cinema and, like, calibrating them and getting, like, them to shoot log and doing all this crazy stuff. He's, like, very technical, but it's also shot the DP of a ton of movies. Um, and he has this thing, the Hurlbutt Academy, where he teaches people you know, how to shoot and stuff, and he does tours. And right now, it might be because of coronavirus or something. I don't know. Someone sent it to me. He's like, you can watch all his classes for free, and there's this thing called the Illumination Experience Workshop that I've been going through. It's like, I mean, long videos, like master class kind of level videos of like demos and things. But 
It's Hurlbut, H-U-R-L-B-U-T, academy.com. And I'm watching the Illumination Experience Workshop. And like, so the first video I watched was just about key lights, like where, when, and why, like where you put the key light, why, what it accomplishes, like what kind of emotions you get out of it. And they do like all these demos, you know, with like a model in the, in a room. And then he does like, he has a class on blocking, um, like prepping, fill light, backlight. Um, so I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Hurlbuttacademy.com. Well, I think that's it. Maureen, what, what, how can we have, how can our listeners follow you? I know if we, if they go to your website, they can see your sizzle reel or your sizzle for golden arm. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like I do a lot of stuff on Instagram, which is, it's just Maureen Barucha. And that's B-H-A-R-O-O-C-H-A. And then if you want to follow Golden Arm, you can also follow us on Instagram, Golden Arm Movie. And then I think also GoldenArmMovie.com is our website. So you can sign up there if you want to know more about when the movie gets released. Awesome. That is a perfect answer. So does textbook. Awesome. Well, if you want to learn about all the uh, other things that we talked about, uh, you can visit us at JustShootItPod.com um, or follow us across all social media at JustShootItPod and me at Mr. Babylon. And I'm on Instagram at O'Kaplan and uh, feel free to leave us a voicemail. Hey, you got nothing better to do right now? One two six two shoot one. We would love to hear from you. I'h uh, love to hear any feedback about uh, the show and rate us on iTunes and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.